0: Today's scripture passage will be Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. As one one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God.
1: Thank you, Rachel. Well, this morning we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Romans. And as we do, uh, we come to this chapter that's all about disagreements. And that's specifically all about how uh, those within the same local church are to handle disagreements with one another. And this is huge, right? Especially relevant in light of the past year and and all the the reasons for disagreements uh, that we have all had, uh, not only within the life of the church, but within the culture, within the country in which we live. This is a passage that, in many ways, um, we as elders have wanted to preach many a Sundays, but as we've been going through Romans um, over the past year, just trusting the Lord's providence and guidance when we would finally get to Romans 14 uh, to preach it. And so here we are this morning. But one of the things, and this has definitely been brought to light over the last year, but one of the things that saddens me the most when it comes to the culture and the country in which we live is that we have completely lost the ability to disagree with one another. I mean, just completely lost the disability to disagree with one another. And what I mean by that is that we've lost the ability to be able to sit down with somebody that we don't agree with and to be able to talk through things in a civil manner. That, that we've lost the ability to be able to sit down with somebody in a humble way with somebody that we don't see eye to eye on on whatever issue it is and to be able to just have a calm, humble discussion, conversation, dialogue, with each other about our differences and leave still loving each other and still being friends with one another. Have completely lost the ability to do that. I mean, this is, this is seen in, in most of the politicians, many of the politicians, most whatever you wanna use there, out there. This is seen in, in talk, cable news talk show hosts. This is seen in, in post on social media. And this is seen, unfortunately, when it comes to pastors and Christians in churches. That what we've begun to do is is we, instead of healthy dialogue and, and conversation with people about our differences, instead we demonize people. We villainize them. We assume the worst about them. We jump to conclusions about them we label them, we categorize them, we call them all sorts of names, we yell and scream at them, and we treat them as if they're our enemy. This is, this is the culture, and this is, this is the country in which we live. And what concerns me the most is that Christians and pastors and churches have got sucked into all this. Like, we look no different than the world and the culture and the country in which we live when it comes to how to handle differences with people and how to respond and treat those that we disagree with. It's like the culture has, has said, this is, this is what it looks like. Here's how you treat people that you disagree with. And we just followed their example. Oh, that's the model? That's what we're supposed to do? That's how we're supposed to treat people we have differences with? Okay, we'll do that. And in doing so, that, following the example of the culture and and disagreeing with with one another, not only saddens the heart of God, but it completely and utterly destroys our witness to the world. It's because of that then that this, this chapter, Romans chapter 14, is going to be particularly relevant for us this morning that what we're going to see within this chapter is that, is that Paul is going to explain to us Paul is going to show us how to d- disagree with other members in the same local church he's going to say this and this is how you do it you don't demonize them you don't villainize them You don't jump to conclusions about them. You don't assume the worst motives about them. You don't treat them as your enemy. You don't label them and categorize them. You don't get in little clicks with people that just agree with you on certain things. Instead, here's what you do. Here's how you respond to members of the same church that you have differences of opinion about and that you differ on things about. And then after he shows us how we're to respond, he's gonna tell us why. He's gonna give us four reasons for why we're supposed to respond in these, in these ways. So that's where we're headed this morning, right? How we're, to, how we're to respond to those we disagree with in this body and why we're supposed to respond in these ways. So that, that's where we're headed. Before we jump into this, though, what I want us to first do is, is kind of paint a picture. Kind of want us to set a scene real quick of the specific disagreements that that the church at Rome that Paul is writing to here were having with one another. Kind of painting a picture of the disagreements that they were having with one another. And their disagreements primarily focused on two particular issues, really three, but we'll look at the third one next week. But two particular issues within these first 12 verses of Romans chapter 14 here. And you see the first particular issue they were disagreeing about there in verses one and two. Look there with me in verse one. Paul says this. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So this is the first issue that those in the church at Rome were, had disagreements about. They were disagreeing about meat and whether or not it was acceptable to eat meat. And so then I know, right? Like for most of us here, that's, that's not our disagreement. Like that's not the difference, differing opinion that we have with, with somebody within the life of, our, within the life of the, our church. But within the church at Rome here, like this was a huge deal. Huge, significant, this wasn't a small area of disagreement, it was, it was huge. And the reason it was huge is because on, on one end here, you had this group of Jewish Christians And in the church, and they were continuing to follow after the Old Testament food laws. And because of that, then, they were abstaining from eating meat. And this is important. They weren't doing that to earn their salvation. Instead, they were doing that as a matter of conscience. They were doing that as a matter of conviction. In other words, they believed that not eating meat was an important part of being a good Christian. They believed that abstaining from eating meat is what was pleasing to God and, and how to be a faithful, devoted follower of Jesus. So they didn't eat meat. On the other hand, the Gentiles in the church knew that they were no longer under the Old Testament law and so that they were free to eat meat. They were free to eat meat. They, they could eat all the meat they wanted. Steak and pulled pork and a Z-man and and just whatever whatever meat they, they wanted to eat. Anyway, there's so. a... Yeah, well, uh, anyway. But because of that, right, they disagreed. You're not spiritual because you're eating meat. You don't love Jesus like we do because you're eating meat. Well, you're foolish because you think we're still under the law. You're strict, you legalist. Da, da, da. So one group's judging the other, the one group's looking down on the other and they're just accusations flying back and forth. That's not the only issue that they were struggling with and disagreeing about though. They were also disagreeing about about which days were holy. About which days were holy. And we see this in verse five. Look at verse five with me. Paul says, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. So then again, the, the Jewish Christians in the church were still observing many of the Old Testament holy days. So like the Sabbath and like many of the Old Testament festival days, they, they were still observing those. The Gentiles, though, they, they weren't. They knew we weren't under the Old Testament law anymore, so they didn't, they didn't celebrate and observe any of these special days. Instead, they believed that every day was special that every day was was holy and set apart to the Lord. And so then as a result, the the Gentiles were looking down on these strict legalistic Jews who were just setting aside these special holy days. And these Jews were looking at these non-spiritual, immature, godless Gentiles who weren't celebrating and observing these holy days and accusations being back, you know, from one group to the other. So those are the two main areas of disagreement. And these weren't minor issues. These were major, significant issues in the life of the church. And in the midst of these disagreements, there were two differing perspectives when it came to, when it came to each of these issues. And we've kind of already talked about them, but you can see them on your hand there. First, there was the weakened faith. The weakened faith, as Paul describes them. And the weak in faith are those Christians whose personal consciences and convictions don't allow them to participate in certain activities and behaviors, even though those activities and behaviors aren't explicitly forbidden in Scripture. And so then in Romans 14, do you know who the weak in faith are? They're mainly the Jewish Christians. And when Paul calls them, he says that when he says that they're weak in faith, He doesn't mean that their faith, their trust, their belief in Jesus is weak. He simply means that their conscience is weak. Meaning that when it comes to certain activities that aren't explicitly forbidden in Scripture, they lack the confidence to participate in them without feeling like they're sinning against God and not pleasing Him and being faithful to Him. They're weak. They have weak consciences in those things. On the other hand, there's the strong. And the strong here is a reference, you see this on your hand out there, to those Christians whose personal consciences and convictions allow them to participate in certain activities and behaviors because these activities and behaviors aren't explicitly forbidden in Scripture. And so then in Romans 14, do you know who the strong in faith are? It's mainly a reference to Gentile Christians in the church. And the reason that they're called the strong is because their conscience is strong. Meaning when it comes to certain activities that aren't explicitly forbidden in Scripture, they're confident that they're free to participate in them without sinning against God and not pleasing, not and not not being um, and not being pleasing to, to him. And so then this is this is what you had. You have these two different perspectives. Disagreeing about these two particular issues. But the key point it's, that's really important here for, for us to understand here is, is this. They weren't disagreeing about what we would call essential issues. They were disagreeing about what we would call non-essential issues. And it's really, really important to be able to discern the, the, and distinguish between the difference between an essential issue and a non-essential issue. And an essential issue are are those issues that are clear and explicit commands and doctrines of Scripture that must be followed if you're a Christian. They must be followed. They're clear. They're, They're explicit commands, doctrines of Scripture that a Christian must follow if they're a follower of Jesus. Meaning if they don't follow them, they're living in sin and they're, they're a heretic, right? Those are explicit issues. However, non-essential issues are those issues in which there aren't any explicit commands or clear teaching in Scripture about. And so then as a result, they're, they're more what you might call gray areas, where there's freedom then for Christians to do what they best believe honors ...honors the Lord. And so then when it came to the Jew and Gentiles... ...within the church at Rome... ...they weren't disagreeing about... ...this is really important... ...they weren't disagreeing about essential issues... ...clear, explicit commands... ...and beliefs and doctrines in Scripture... ...they were were disagreeing about what we would call... ...non-essential issues. And we disagree about these too... And that's okay. It's okay. Did you hear that? We disagree in this room as members together of Cross Fellowship Church on non-essential issues. And it's okay. Those five that we asked that that just joined our church, the requirements for membership in our church have nothing to do with non-essential issues. Not one non-essential issue at all. Non-essential issues aren't a requirement for membership and fellowship in the life of our body, and they shouldn't be. But as I was studying through this, kind of a fun exercise, if you want to call it fun, got out a sheet of paper, and I began to make a list of every non-essential issue that members of our church have disagreed about that I know about, (laughs) that I've been in conversations about or email about or Zoom calls about. And here they are, right? 25 of them. Don't write these down. If I miss your favorite non-essential issue to disagree about, don't feel the need to email me either. (laughs) So here they are, okay? And some of these, yeah, going to press a button, but we're good. Homeschool, public school, private school. Don't laugh or say amen to any of these, because <laughs> these are getting a tattoo, drinking alcohol, celebrating Halloween, celebrating Christmas and Easter, celebrating birthdays, reading Harry Potter, yoga, makeup, jewelry, clothing and modesty, moms working outside the home, war and participating in war, politics, Everything underneath that. The Sabbath and how you treat the Lord's Day. Drums in church. That's not why we didn't have drums today. We didn't have a drummer. Um, What you wear to church. What the preacher should wear to church. Care for the environment. Movies. Secular music. Watching UFC. If you don't know what UFC is, anyway. Smoking a cigar or a pipe. Dating or courtship. Taking out a loan. Vaccines. mask all of it, people within you that, that are right here have different views on all those things in the life of our, in the life of our church. So, so here's the question. If we all have differing opinions and different convictions, and some have really strong opinions and strong convictions on all these things, then how in the world... Are we supposed to live together in relationships together as members together of the same church without killing each other? And I seriously mean that. How are we to do that? Like we don't stand a chance. Well, do you know how many, and I'm not even say most, Christians would answer that question? Their answer to that question would be this. Be in different churches. Uh Uh-huh. Just don't agree. Just find go somewhere else. Find people that will agree with you. Find people that believe exactly the same you do and come to the same conclusion that you do on all these non-essential issues. Like if you did that, here's the reality. Yeah, life would be a lot easier. Church would be a lot less messier church would be a lot more comfortable. The only problem though with that is that it goes completely 100% against everything the bible teaches. And it goes completely against what Paul's teaching here in Romans chapter 14 that these Jew and Gentile believers who are at odds with one another, disagreement with one another about all these things. He doesn't tell the Jewish people, hey, go start a church for people who don't eat meat and who celebrate these holy days. And Gentiles, you go start churches a church for people who eat meat and, and treat every day like. That will solve it. Instead, do you, do you know what Paul says? Do you know the answer that he gives for how they're supposed to respond to one another in the midst of all these disagreements. He gives them four specific ways to respond to one another. Not be in different churches. Instead, the first way he tells them to respond to those they disagree with on these non-essential issues is this. You see these on your handout. He tells them to welcome those who disagree with you. To welcome those who disagree with you. That's what he says at the very beginning of verse 1. Look there with me again. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Welcome him. That word welcome means accept. It means receive. It means to embrace, to welcome him, accept him, receive him into fellowship, receive him or her into the church. In other words, don't, don't push him out. Don't isolate yourself from him. Don't keep him or her at arm's length. Instead, welcome them, embrace them, even if they disagree with you. No matter where they land on these non-essential issues, embrace them, receive them into your life, into the body. And again, like we hear that right in at first glance, you're like, yeah, that's beautiful. Yes, that's exactly what church is to be shouldn't be dividing over all these non-essential issues and, and making a fuss, all those things. But we ought to be accepting one another, welcoming of one another, receiving one another. That's beautiful. That's what church should be. And I'm like, yeah, that's where church should be. But here's the thing we need to know. And it's what I alluded to earlier. Here's the warning. That might sound beautiful, but it's really painful. It's really hard. It's really costly. You do this, church is going to be really messy. There's going to be tensions. It's going to be uncomfortable. In other words, like church would be a lot easier if and this is what some of you have asked us to do. Church would be a lot easier if we as elders just came down really, really hard on where we stand on all these non-essential issues and run the people out who don't agree with us. Church would be a whole lot easier if, if we did that. But the reality is this, that's the easy way out. Anybody can do that. That's the easy way out. The hard way is to keep the essential issues at the center of the church and to humbly welcome those who then disagree on these non-essential issues. That's the hard thing to do. But that's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. So that's the first way we're to respond to those who disagree with us on, on these non-essential issues. The second way we're sp- supposed to respond is this. We're not to quarrel with those who we disagree with on these non-essential issues. This is what Paul goes on to say there in verse one. Look there with me. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Meaning we're not to argue. We're not to fight a- about. We're not to quarrel over the different opinions and convictions and conclusions that we come to on these non-essential issues. This is really important to distinguish here. He doesn't mean here we can't talk about our differences. He, He doesn't mean here that we can't have healthy, good, humble dialogue and conversations and even debate about our differences like there's a time and a place for all that. So yes and amen to all that. And that. That stuff should be going on in our personal conversations and discussions and relationships with each other where we're sh- listening and understanding and sharpening one another in all these ways. So yes and amen to all that. But what Paul's warning against here is is different than that. He's warning against arguing and fighting and pride and anger and and these non-essential issues becoming a point of division and disunity in the life of a church so much so that it affects our relationships with one another. The third way then, he says we're to respond to those we disagree with on these non-essential issues is, is this. He says we're not to look down on them. We're not to despise them and look down on them. So what he goes on to say, look at verse two and then also into verse three. Paul says, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. In the context here, he's talking about Gentile Christians who eat meat. They're not to despise or look down upon the Jewish Christians who abstain from eating meat and who are more strict. But let's let's be honest, right? This is the temptation, right? Right? The temptation is for the person who exercises their freedom in an area on these non-essential issues to look down upon the person who abstains and is more strict. It's to look down on that person. It's to say, you're so legalistic. You're, you're so strict. Like, don't you understand the freedom we have in Christ? Like, I, 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 I can't believe that you don't watch that. I can't believe you don't wear that. I can't believe you don't celebrate that. You're so strict and, to be, and, to be, and despise that person, look down upon that person and feel like you're superior to and a better Christian than that, than that person. The fourth way then, he tells us we're to respond to those we disagree with on non-essential issues is this, fourth way he says we're to respond is by not judging them, we're not to judge them, the person we disagree with. That's what he goes on to say. Look at the rest of verse three there. He says, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And so then what Paul's doing here, right? He's turning it around and now he's providing a warning to the weak Jewish Christian who doesn't eat meat. And he says to the Gentile Christian, don't look down on the Jewish Christian. And now to the Jewish Christian, he says, don't pass judgment on the Gentile Christian. In other words, The person who abstains from these non-essential issues aren't to pass judgment on those Christians who exercise their freedom and participates in these non-essential issues. And that's the picture. Don't look down upon, don't pass judgment upon. But again, that's that's the temptation for the more strict person pass judgment on the person who's participating and exercising their freedom in those ways, thinking, huh, I'm a better Christian than you. I'm more mature than you. How can you be a Christian and do something like that? So you see the the picture and all that? Like, this is how, those 25 lists, right? List of non-negotiables. All these different conclusions that we all have within our body in terms of of how you've decided through, through your own walk with the Lord what that looks like in your life in all those different areas. And when it comes to all those things, Paul's warning us here. Don't, don't form cliques. Don't just try and avoid those that you disagree with in all these areas. Don't keep each other at arm's length. Don't judge, don't isolate, don't look down upon. Instead, welcome, embrace, accept, don't quarrel with one another, don't look down upon one another, don't judge one another. But let me warn you, as you do that, Paul says, it's going to be messy. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be really hard. It's going to be painful. It'll be a lot easier just to run everybody else out who doesn't see things the way you do. But that's not what the body's supposed to be. The body's supposed to work through it together and put up with one another and bear with one another and not pass judgment on what the on one another and look down on one another and be accepting and welcoming of one another. And that's, that's hard. So let's, let's like personalize this, right? Let's, let's think about this in our own lives. And let's it's like, let's be honest. Let's, let's take inventory of our lives and of our hearts specifically as it relates to how we've responded to those we disagree with within this body. Here's some questions to think about. Which of these four responses here is most challenging for you? Which of these four responses have you struggled the most in? Which of these four responses trips you up the most? Which of these four responses best describes you? Another question to ask then would be this Which of these four responses do you need to go to God, confess a sin, and repent of? Which of these four responses do you need to go to God, confess as sin, and repent of? And the third question then would be this is there a specific member in our church? Is there a specific member in our church that you need to reach out to and ask for their ask for their forgiveness? Is there a specific member in our church that you need to reach out to and ask for forgiveness? Because if you were honest, you haven't been welcoming them. You haven't been accepting of them. You have quarreled with them, fought with them, argued with them, judged them, and looked down upon them. Is there a specific member? in the life of our church that you need to reach out to and ask for their forgiveness because you sinned against them in one of these four ways that we're to respond to those that that we disagree with. If so, reach out to them like today. Here's then why we're supposed to respond to one another in these ways. So that's the what, right? That's what. That's how we're supposed to respond to those we disagree with. Then the question, begs the question, why? Like, that's so countercultural. And so then why are we supposed to respond to those we disagree with on these non-essential issues in these ways? Why? what's, what's, What's the reason? And this is an important question to ask, right? Like, if all we know is the how and the what, then all that's going to do is lead to some behavioral change, some behavioral modification. We're going to try and just do these four things. But if there's no heart change in there, it's not going to last. And so understanding the why and the motivation for why we're supposed to respond in these ways helps them to shape the posture of our hearts and the motivation of our hearts and the, the attitude and the of our hearts as well as, as we seek to live out the what and the, the how. So here, here's the first reason then for why we're to welcome those that we disagree with on these non-essential issues and accept and embrace and why we're not supposed to judge and, and look down upon them. The first reason is this. See this onion out there. We should welcome those we disagree with on non-essential issues because God has welcomed ...them, because God has welcomed them. It's what Paul goes on to say at the very end of verse 3. Look there again with me. He says this. He says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains... ...and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And here's why. For God has welcomed him. In other words, you catch that, we're to welcome those... ...we disagree with on these non-essential issues... Because God has welcomed them. Meaning because they're Christians. That God in Christ has welcomed and accepted and received. And since that's true, since God has welcomed them, since God has received them, since God has accepted them in Christ, then what gives us the right to not do the same? And so then think about this for a minute. Think about the person in our church right now, that you have the hardest time accepting. Like, be honest. Like, don't say their name out loud. But be honest, right? That you have the hardest time welcoming, accepting. Because they have certain convictions and opinions about a lot of these non-essential issues that you completely and utterly disagree with and don't understand, and it just boggles your mind. Think about that person and do this for just a moment. Instead of viewing them through the lens of the issue that you disagree with them on, like politics or Halloween or smoking a pipe, instead, view them as someone that God has welcomed. View them as someone as God has accepted and received in Christ, and as you do that, as you view them through that lens, as opposed to through the, through the lens of the, the area that you have these strong disagreements with them upon, then I guarantee you that your heart posture toward that person will change. Which then leads to the second reason. We're, and the second reason is this. See the song you see this on your hand out there. We're not to pass judgment on others when it comes to these non-essential issues because we're not their master. They don't ultimately answer to us They ultimately answer to God. So what Paul goes on to say there next in verse four. Look there with me at verse four. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. And then look down at verse 10. He says the same exact thing in verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So then do you, do you see that picture that Paul's painting here? He's painting this picture of a, of a slave and his master. And so that doesn't mean that Paul is condoning slavery here. It just means that slavery is a, is a, is a reality in his day. But the picture that he's painting is is this. Is that if you were a slave, then there was only one person that you were ultimately accountable to. If you're a slave, there's only one person that you ultimately had to answer to. If you're a slave, there's only one person whose opinion ultimately mattered about you. And do you know who that who's that who, who that person was? It was your master. Like that's the only opinion that mattered. The neighbor next door, his opinion didn't matter. All the other slaves in the house, their opinion didn't matter. Instead, if you were a slave, the only opinion that mattered was your master's because he was the only the one that you were gonna ultimately be held accountable to and have to answer to. And you see the application that Paul's making here? The the same thing is true for us as Christians when it comes to these non-essential issues that the reason we're not to judge each other and look down on each other when it comes to all these non-essential issues is because you're not their master. I'm not their master. Jesus is their master. We only have one master, and his name is Jesus. Like, he's the one that everybody's ultimately going to be held accountable to and have to give an answer to when it comes to all these non, non-essential issues that, that we're covering here. And since that's true, then, we need to be really, really careful about passing judgment on others in these issues and acting like we're their master that they have to give an account to when they're not. Their master is Jesus, ultimately, not us, which then leads to the third reason that Paul gives here. And the third and final reason is this. We're not to look down or pass judgment on others we disagree with on non-essential issues because they are genuinely seeking to honor the Lord. They are genuinely seeking to honor the Lord. This is what Paul goes on to say there in verse 5. Look there with me. Verse 5, he says, One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eat in honor of the Lord since he, give thank, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, do you see, do you see what Paul's saying here? That Paul's concern here isn't where each group lands on this whole idea of holy days, He ultimately doesn't care where they land and the conclusions that they ultimately come to and the convictions and the opinions that they ultimately come to when it comes to this whole idea of holy days. But do you know what his concern is? His concern is that wherever they land, they land there because they're seeking to honor the Lord. And this is huge. This is huge for us to remember especially when it comes to those that we disagree with on the, all these non-essential issues in our body, that we need to remember that the member in our church who homeschools their kids, they're doing that because they're convinced in their mind that that's the best way for them and their family to honor the Lord. The family that sends their kids to public schools, they're doing that because they're convinced in their mind that by doing that, that's the best way for them and their family to honor the Lord. Those that send their kids to private Christian schools, they're doing that because they're convinced in their mind that that's the best way for them and their family to honor their Lord. So then all three groups, right? Seeking to honor the Lord, even though they have different opinions and convictions of how best to do that for their family. And so this is how then we're we're supposed to view those we disagree with on these non-essential issues. We're not to view them as unholy, godless, sin-loving, licentious Christians on one hand, or these strict, legalistic, no-fun Christians on the other hand. Instead, we're supposed to view them as Christians are seeking to honor the Lord. And we need to understand that the way this plays out then in all 25 of these issues is going to look different for different people. And that's okay. And we need to assume the best and give people the benefit of the doubt that no matter where they land on these issues, they're genuinely and sincerely seeking to honor the Lord no matter where they come down on these issues. But here's the deal in saying all this. The underlying assumption behind all of this is that this is what each person is really trying to do. It's that each person is really trying to honor the Lord. It's that each person is, is really seeking to honor the Lord when it comes to all these non-essential issues. In other words, we're not just making decisions in all these areas based on what we want and what we prefer and what we like and based upon our sinful desires and our sinful flesh and the idols of our heart. Instead, we're making these decisions based upon what we truly believe will honor and please the Lord. But here's why that's so important. Here's why seeking and honoring the Lord should be the preeminent motivation and factor in all these decisions we make in regards to all these non-essential issues. The reason it should be the preeminent motivation and driving force and factor behind all these decisions on all these issues is because what Paul says there in verse 7. Look there with me. He says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. And so do you see what Paul's saying here? He's saying that the reason we should be so concerned with honoring the Lord in all these non-essential matters is because we are the Lord's, like we belong to him, we're his. In other words, when Jesus came, Jesus came, he died on a cross, he took the judgment we deserve for all the sins we've committed, and in doing so, by his blood, he has purchased us, he has ransomed us, he has redeemed, and he's bought us for himself. And so now all those who place their faith and their trust in Jesus to save them from their sins, they belong to Him. They don't belong to themselves anymore. They don't belong to, they're not their own anymore. We don't get to just do whatever we want to anymore. Instead, now we belong to Him, and so now we live for Him. He's our master. We're not the master anymore. He's our master, and we live for Him And because of that then, when we're faced with a decision about our kids' school or about what to wear or about what to watch or about whether or not to celebrate this holiday or this holiday, we make these decisions not simply based on what we desire and what we prefer and what we want. Instead, we make these decisions based on what we believe will best honor our master. Jesus, And this right here is the whole key to being able to disagree with one another and fellow members in our church on these non-essential issues. It's to remember that what ultimately unites us together as a church isn't Harry Potter. It's not vaccines. It's not secular music. It's not what to wear to church on Sunday. Instead, what ultimately unites us together as a church is that we all have the same Lord, we all have the same Master, and that we're all seeking to please and honor Him in all the decisions that we make. And it's then and only then that when we all get to the point and we commit to doing that together, that we'll be okay with the fact that the conclusions that some people come to will be different than ours. Because we know that even though we come to different conclusions, our heart motivation in coming to those conclusions is all the same. That we're all seeking to honor the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that church is messy. Thank you that church is uncomfortable. Thank you that you put people in the life of our church and in our lives that see things different than we do and come to different conclusions that we do. I'm glad we're not all the same. I'm glad there's different views, there's different perspectives. I need that. I need people to dialogue that with me to bring more humility in my own heart to help me to better understand others, to help me even to critique and evaluate where I come down on some of these things and speak wisdom into me. And so God, I pray for that just for us as a church. Lord, this this is a hard text. It's easy to understand. It's hard to flesh out. So God, I pray that more than anything, that in our hearts that we would, we would be united in the fact that Jesus is our Lord. That we would seek Him with every ounce in our body, Lord. That that our hearts focus and our desire would be upon Him. And that as a result, Lord, that we would we would seek um, to be faithful stewards, faithful servants of our master Jesus and in doing so that um, you would cause us to continue to grow in our unity and our love and our acceptance of one another as brothers, as sisters, as servants of Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray these things.